Warning, the following podcast contains mature content. Listener discretion is advised. Every person thinks they would never succumb to the addictions that litter this world. None of us realize just how easy it is to fall into the trap of addiction. We assume it would never seduce us, never impact us, never kill us. But we'd be wrong, deadly wrong. The following are the true accounts of just a small percentage of people who struggle with addiction issues. We are honored to share their stories. Welcome. 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 Welcome to Addicted. Well, welcome back to another interview within the Addicted series. On this episode, I'm excited. I have a friend of mine, and it's somebody who's I've known for, well, actually, since I started my podcasting journey. So that's really exciting. Jacob, why don't you introduce yourself and a little bit of your backstory? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Jacob Randall, and I live in Los Angeles, California. I am the host of a podcast called Crime of Your Life. It's a true crime podcast. And I'm also the co-producer for a horror movie podcast called Happy Horror Time. And then um, I have another podcast that I'm working on called The Same River Twice. But yeah, just a just a podcaster, human being in the world, a uh, friend of yours. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So obviously you came on to tell us a story. Where does your story begin with addiction or substance abuse? Obviously, I know that it's not you in particular that had these problems, but it was somebody within your family. Right. For me, I think it really begins in childhood. I mean, I can remember being really young and my father was really sort of volatile and would get into these crazy fights with my mom. And, you know, I didn't really understand that at the time. I thought that was kind of normal. And then as I got older, uh, my brother started getting into trouble at school a lot. And all of this stuff was kind of just not clear to me what it was really about. You know, I, j I just thought I had this family that was different from other families. You know, I didn't really think of it as addiction. But later I did find out that there were substance abuse problems with my father, with my brother. My father passed away when I was 15. So really everything became about my brother and his addictions and how it affected our lives. Before your father passed away, what was your relationship like with him? I mean, it was really distant. I mean, I always felt that he was a source of danger and anger. You know, there was there was domestic abuse in my household between my father. I, he was just a very angry person and he would, you know, <laughs> well, it's crazy to even talk about this to someone. You know, he used to beat up my mother in front of us. That's intense to say. I guess this is the form to say it. But yeah, uh, I, that's the thing. I don't know where his problems came from. I just remember ever since I was little, my first memory is, you know, of my mom being in peril from this angry, angry figure. So my whole life, I think I was just afraid of my dad. I, I was just scared of him and didn't really want him around. Did that have an effect on you and how you dealt with relationships throughout your life to where you kind of tried not to make people angry? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think also it made me angry. There was definitely a feeling of like, 
you know, walking on eggshells around people and not wanting to make them angry or not approve of me or something. But really over time, it turned into my own anger. If I felt like I was being attacked, it kind of put me back into this place. Anytime, even today, it's something I struggle with. If I feel like I'm being attacked, it sometimes puts me into this place where I'm this little kid and I'm in fear of, you know, my life or fear I'm fearing my father. I'm scared of my father in some way. And my brother is two years older than me. There are things that probably happened in his experience before I was born. And he and I, I think, went on two different paths when it came to dealing with or responding to the trauma that came through the domestic abuse that we were living under. You know, for me, it's, it's, I have psychological issues and I have emotional issues and I've been in therapy. And, but my brother, you know, from an early age, he became addicted to pharmaceuticals. He, he, and really anything he can get his hands on. And so we really went on these completely different paths uh, through adolescence and into adulthood. We'll get to your brother here in a second. I know I just wanted to touch on your dad real quick. Have you and your mom talk, ever talked about the you know everything that happened between your dad and your family? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard because she was a victim of abuse during this time in my past. So it's it's difficult to talk about in some ways because I don't want to necessarily bring up her trauma. And, you know, I know there have been times that I've made her feel guilty about it. And I feel bad about that now. Guilty for not leaving this situation that one would think you'd leave um, if it were so easy, but it's not so easy, you know, and we know that. We know it's not so easy to leave situations where you're being abused but we we talked about all of it in a sense of uh you know it's the past and i forgive you and i i know you did the best you could we've talked about it in that way but a lot of the traumatic details we've stayed away from because it's it's hard to say who it's more traumatic for her or me you know right what kind of effect did that have on you and your brother's relationship you know with the domestic violence with your dad when we were little Again, we were only two years apart, so we were really close when we were little kids. But once we, you know, once he hit around 12 or 13 and I was 10 or 11, I think he started to respond to the situation at home by acting out in school, acting out outside of school. And that affected us because, again, I think we responded to these things very differently uh, in our childhood. He went on this sort of rebellious path and I didn't. I was scared growing up. I was timid. I was afraid to make people angry or upset at me. Again, it kind of formed into anger later as I got older. But I just remember when I was a kid, I was ashamed of him, of my brother, of my father too, but of my brother because we were in school together and he would get in trouble for all kinds of things at school. He became a troublemaker and one time, I'll never forget, in junior high, I remember the bell rang to leave class. And I remember looking down the hallway and my brother was being taken out of school in handcuffs. And that, like, uh, I mean, it was like, it was really shameful <laughs> to me. Take a break if you need to, man. You're good. I know it's hard, man. And I appreciate you coming on, but you're doing a really good job. No, thank you for, for letting me 
talk about this stuff. And, you know, it is hard to talk about. It doesn't mean I don't want to talk about it. It's just, it, it is difficult. When you're a kid, you know, you don't see at the time anything but what's on the surface. So, you know, I just couldn't understand why he wouldn't chill out <laughs> and why he wouldn't stop making trouble at school. So there was some resentment there for a time, you know, until I got old enough to understand that we were both responding to trauma in a different way. Have you guys since talked about that and and and, and discussed that kind of, those kinds of things? Yeah, I think that eventually we came to a point where we had to, to some degree. Wow, I've never really spoken to anyone about this. When you know, by the time he was a teenager, he started getting in trouble with the law. So he would get arrested for, you know, being out past curfew or get busted with drugs on his person. He'd, he'd have, you know, anything on him, pills, uh, methamphetamines, uh, like, or just marijuana. He'd have just about anything on him at any time. And so he started getting in trouble with the law. And then by the time he was 18, I mean, that hadn't stopped. So Within a year or so of his 18th birthday, I think he was arrested. Finally, he was sent to prison. He's been there ever since for drugs. What kind of effect did that have on you watching your brother go to prison for what is potentially the rest of his life? I mean, it's the most difficult thing that I think I've ever had to deal with. In a weird way, the trauma, uh, the abuse and stuff from childhood it's 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 less than the impact of my brother being imprisoned and we have talked about all of these things since then because like i said it came to a point where we kind of had to once he was in prison he sobered up just because he didn't have access to the drugs in the same way and so we've been able to talk about that stuff yeah him being in prison is such a deeply painful thing for our family you know um he's trapped and and he doesn't deserve to be there it's because of drugs you know he 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 should be in rehab or something he should have he, he shouldn't be treated like a criminal because uh because he became an addict you know can i ask you what he got sent away to prison for yeah i mean it's a little complicated i think i mean it's probably not complicated on paper but from what i remember and what we've talked about I mean, he was already in so much trouble with the law from before he was 18 and then after he was 18 it kind of continued i think the final arrest he was cooking meth in his house and they busted him for i guess for intent to distribute he wasn't planning on selling drugs i mean i'm not putting it past him and saying that he wouldn't have or whatever but even if he were planning on selling drugs it w it was just to feed his own addiction so that he could make money to buy more drugs he was really at the at a breaking point. He was at a point where he needed more help than ever. And instead of that, he was arrested and sent to prison. And why has he been away for so long if that was... Because, I mean, by all counts, that's years ago now, right? I mean, it's got to be over a decade. Is it... Was it like a, a three-strikes-you're-out kind of rule? Or was it... Has he done other things in prison to keep himself there? So I think it has to do with... The fact that when he was arrested, he was still on so many drugs. He wasn't thinking clearly. He wasn't listening to the family about anything. You know, we, we would talk to him about getting a lawyer and about approaching his court case in a certain way. And he just sort of 
disregarded all of it. You know, I think maybe he was asked if he wanted to take a plea deal or if he wanted a jury trial kind of thing. And I think he took this awful plea deal, not, you know, to put it into context, if we think about it, this is really still a kid. He was 18, 19. He's really young. Yeah, he doesn't know anything about the court system, about about legalities, about the permanent effect um, of anything. I, I just think that he got caught up in it so early on and he didn't know how to make the right choices when it came to the legal side of things. And he just ended up in prison with this really long sentence. And also, this was in Arkansas. We grew up in Arkansas. I'm, I live in Los Angeles now, but the courts, at least at the time, were not very uh, sympathetic to drug users. I, I mean, they sent my father to prison for drugs uh, years before. And this particular judge who sentenced my brother is a apparently, from what I've heard, is a judge who's really known for giving the most difficult, harshest possible sentences. And so I think that's why he's been there for so long. He has he has gotten in trouble in prison sometimes, like for sure, but not to you know, he's been there, I think, fifteen years, and he's gotten in trouble a handful of times, and it's only yeah, it's never been what you would think of as like uh, outrageous behavior in prison. Like he, he he hasn't, I don't know how to say it the right way. He hasn't killed anybody in prison. He hasn't done something, you know, he gets in trouble for small things and you can get, it's really easy to get in trouble for small things in prison. I feel like as I'm talking about him, like I'm trying to defend him or something and I'm not. No, 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 no. dude, this is your story, man. That's, that's just it. I don't have an expectation of you. You don't have to, you don't have to convince me of anything. This is more or less just you telling your story and how addiction or, or either how addiction or addicts have affected your life. You know what I mean? Like, I know we're talking about your brother, but I also want to talk about how it's affected you because I know it chokes you up. You know what I mean? When you think about it, I can see it in your face. And so, you know, that's that's more or less like I want the family members also to realize that, that they're not alone. It's not just about the addicts, right? The addicts are the selfish people in, the, in this. I mean, I hate to say it, but addicts are selfish, right? It's all about them and what they're doing. And I understand why, because they're on the drugs, but it's also the family members. It's the brothers, it's the mothers, it's the fathers that are affected by the people and what they're and their actions. You know what I mean? So you don't have to defend him. If you feel like you want to defend him, that's okay. Who gives a shit what people think about you? That's your brother, right? It's one of those things that it affects you. It affects you profoundly. It, it's obvious in your voice and in the way that, you know, your face that it, it bothers you. And, and that's okay. That's what, that's what I want is, is, it is also, you know, to give the families of, of addicts, obviously, hopefully your brother, when he gets, if he ever gets, is he ever getting out of prison? He is. I mean, he, he will get out of prison and it could be really, really soon. Yeah. It could be in the next one to two years. I mean, he's up for parole for the first time, I think in August or something. We just spoke on the phone. We, we talk on the phone a lot. It's weird. I have a closer connection with him now than I did during the years when he was a teenager and there was that distance. And, and, you know, you know, it, and you said, about the selfishness that's that's really how i looked at it for a long time is, is that he's you know being selfish and and there is a self in it, uh, there is a selfishness to addiction in terms of the actions that you take to serve your addiction and but i almost feel like if there were just something or someone that had been in the scenario to you know just take him and say hey you need help and then help him maybe things would be different um you know i feel like i'm still working it all out even as I'm talking to you, 
you know, and uh, to a degree, I still have anger at him. I, I, I still, I'm angry at him. I'm hurt by it. I'm scared. I miss him. And it, and it's affected our whole family. Uh, you know, I think maybe that's part of the reason why I moved to California. When I was 18, I just, you know, I just needed to move away from everything. I, I think I told myself at the time that I was off to pursue like a, my own life, career, whatever I wanted, college, everything. I really think maybe I was running away from all of it because it was just years of having this person in our family who is an addict. We weren't treating him like an addict. We were treating him like a troublemaker. The accumulation of all of it, the just the constant worry, the the fighting, the the fear, the shame that this person in my family, you know, he's embarrassing our family and even the guilt of not knowing what to do or how to help him. I think it all just became too much. And eventually I was just like, peace out. What kind of effect did your brother going to prison have on your mom? I mean, it's got to be the worst on, on her, right? Because she's a, our mother. Um, my mom is like, my mom is a really strong person because she's been through so much and she's still standing and she's still at this age taking care of people. My uncle's suffering from heart failure and I, uh, he's, he is dying and it's very sad and you know we're very sad about that. Um, but my mom's the one who's been taking care of him for the past five years. She's so tough. I think that it's just broken her heart. I think that with my brother, it's just made her feel so guilty. Like maybe she's enabled it. She, I think she feels like she enabled him this whole time. But the crazy thing is she was always trying to protect him. And by protecting my brother, there would be nights when he would disappear and I'd find my mom on the couch doing his homework in junior high and high school. Like she was trying to save him from failing school and things getting worse. You know, when he got arrested when he was a teenager, she'd bail him out of jail because she couldn't think of her, you know, of her kid staying in jail all night. And she did so much to protect him, but I think that it enabled him because she never let him suffer the real consequences of anything. I think now she feels really guilty. We're sort of in this fragile place where we want my brother home, but we're terrified that everything is going to start up again, you know? So it's an ongoing thing that affects my mom and all of us every day. What kind of support did you have like during all these years? Like you've been going to therapy and stuff. Have you felt like that's helped you to try to work out some of this trauma? Yeah, I do. Um, I do feel like therapy has helped. It's, it's an ongoing process. Uh, I'm not in therapy right now. I, I was in therapy for, I've been in therapy many times, you know, the first time when I was a teenager and the second time when I was about 28 or 29, I actually have my own, I've experimented with drugs in my past. I've had times where I felt dependent upon drugs in certain ways. I don't, uh, struggle with addiction the way that my brother does or the way that my father did. I did have an incident once in my 20s where I took mushrooms, uh, psilocybin, and I had done that before, you know, many times throughout the years, but I was just in my 20s. And I don't know, I, it was the summertime and I wanted to have fun. And I ended up having a really bad trip, as they say, a really bad experience. It was, you know, I thought I was like, <laughs> I don't know how to say it. Uh, 
to make it clear what I'm saying, but just basically a bad trip and you were in a place where you didn't want to be. Right. Exactly. And that experience led me into therapy for the second time. Um, I don't experiment with drugs anymore at this point. I'm 33 now and I don't, you know, I smoke marijuana sometimes. And, but I, other than that, you know, I don't drink. I don't really have any vices like that. Yeah. The second time I was in therapy, that kind of, that's when I started really exploring my past and dealing with all of this stuff. And then I was in therapy for a third time since the pandemic started. I went back into therapy for about a year. And so each time I've gone, it's really, it has helped. And each time I've been in therapy, it's been like a new level of understanding myself. So it has helped me a lot. You know, it's an ongoing process. I know that when I have conversations like this with you and it's still so painful to talk about and I can feel it in my chest and my throat, just, you know, like I'm going to break. Um, I know I'm still dealing with it, but, you know, being able to talk to somebody, it helps. This helps, honestly. And I, I'm glad it, it, it is very, th- I know it's therapeutic, you know what I mean, for a lot of people to be able to just, you know what I mean, get it out there. Have you talked to your brother about when he comes out of prison? he like is he still on the side that he's gonna just kind of go crazy right or is he willing to put in the work you know on the other side to try to stay away from all the bad shit that he was doing when before he went in well we can only go off of what he says right we can only go off of what he says we have to wait until he's out to see what his actions actually say but the sense that i get i mean he's sober when i talk to him on the phone he's he's clear-headed And he has reflected on the past a lot. I mean, he's had an awful lot of time to do it. It seems like when he gets out, he understands that he can't go back to the way things were before. And he, he, he seems to grasp the amount of pain that has been caused by his addiction. And and I think he understands that his problems come from what happened to him as a kid and what happened to us when we were kids. I think he gets that. I think he has the perspective and that gives us faith that things will be different when he gets out. You know, we're terrified because the worst thing I think that could happen is that he makes a mistake and he gets arrested and he gets sent away again. I mean, what are we going to do if that happens? I I try not to think that way, but for me, you know, when we talk, we talk about all this stuff and I just try to take what I've learned through my own life and think about how I'm going to try to help him. Ultimately, he has to help himself and he has to be willing to do that and to really take charge of his life and decide what he really wants his life to be because this is it, you know? He's going to be in his mid-30s when he gets out. He's lost all of his 20s. This is it. So it's going to be scary, but we're going to see what happens and we're going to do everything we can to support him. If you had any advice for family members who are suffering with an addict or with substance abuse within their family, what kind of advice would you give them? I think that I would tell people to, if nothing else, to remember the idea of forgiveness because I know that everybody in the situation has such guilt. Even I do. Um, for all the times that I never wrote to him, you know? So I think, I think that people have to be able to forgive each other. I think you have to be able to forgive people who are addicted. You have to forgive people who have suffered through trauma. You have to forgive people who 
during that trauma didn't know how to respond. You know, I I have to forgive my mom for not uh, scooping us up and taking us out of that situation. She's got to forgive herself. So I think that um, that's what I would tell people is just to remember that underneath all of this are human beings who are just trying to get through this darkness of a world as the best they can, you know? Jacob. I know you, I can see that it, it's painful and it hurts you. And I appreciate you coming on to share your story. One thing I wanted to ask before we got out of here was, what's your take on drugs? Do you think they should be legal or do you think they should stay where they're at? To be honest with you, I think that drugs should be legal because the criminality behind them has caused so much pain in our family. And uh, I think that if that had been different, my brother wouldn't be in prison. And I think that all of the times that my mom enabled him by trying to protect him, I think her her choices would have been different if everything hadn't been criminalized, if, if drug addiction weren't treated like a criminal situation, that if we looked at all of this, the drug problem in our world differently, that we would have a lot less pain and a lot more healing. Jacob, thanks for coming on. Thanks for being my friend. Thanks for sharing your story. I really hope and pray for your family that you guys heal, that you guys forgive each other, and that your brother comes home soon. He doesn't deserve to be locked away for as long as he has been. To me, that's insane that it's been that long for for a nonviolent drug offense. So with that being said, I appreciate you sharing your story. Why don't you go ahead and plug your podcast one more time before we get out of here? Yes. And thank you for having me, my friend. Like, Thank you for sitting down with me to have this conversation. It was tough, but I'm really glad that I spoke with you. I'm really glad that you're doing this. And um, again, my name is Jacob Randall. I am the host of a true crime podcast called Crime of Your Life. And I'm the co-producer of a horror podcast called Happy Horror Time. It's a lot of fun. You should check it out if you like horror movies. And um, I have an upcoming project with my friend Kate Walinga. Uh, that project is called The Same River Twice. That's a deep dive true crime podcast that we hope to release later this year. So you can catch me involved in all of that. Well, once again, Jacob, thanks for coming on. And I hope you have a good day. You too, man. We leave you now with this episode of Addicted. Just remember that there are many people out there struggling with addiction issues. And for every one person who finds sobriety, there are millions out there who haven't overcome this demon known as addiction. Thank you for listening to Addicted.